Good morning again, and uh, Trey, I apologize now if they start doing that at school. Until it was my fault. <laughs> I was glad to hear by new who said, love one another as, even as I have loved you. What comes to mind when you hear the word faith? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Not obedience? Gift? Well, here in America, specifically in the South or the Bible Belt, and I don't know if the Bible Belt actually exists anymore because people are moving all over the country. But for many, it is a, a word that refers to something religious. However, there are many types of faith in our lives. No one can go through life without trusting in somebody or something. Have faith in, have trust in it. Now, the simplest definition of faith is to put our complete trust or confidence in something or someone. And trust is a synonym of faith. Now, here's a list of things that we put our trust in, our faith in, every day. For example, we put our faith or trust in other people, such as family, friends, colleagues, our cars, if you have a motorcycle, trains, and planes, baking and financial institutions, restaurants, brick-and-mortar retail stores, along with online shopping. This building that you're in, you're trusting that it won't fall on top of your head. The pew you're sitting on, you're trusting and putting your faith in that you will not collapse. And by the way, when you came in and sat on your pew, did you look underneath to make sure it was fully supported? Or did you just sit down? Just sat down. Didn't even think about anything else. You put your complete trust and confidence. When you sat down, it would hold you up. Now, every one of us has and will make future decisions to put our faith and trust in someone or something. At that moment we do that, we are exercising confidence that person or thing will help us and not harm us. Having faith in the resurrected Jesus means that we trust him to guide us each and every day. And when we do this, we are made new by the power of God. Let's turn our attention to James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it? What does it profit my brethren or brothers? This is a rhetorical question of the utmost importance, of the utmost gravity, and James anticipates a negative response. Can faith without works be a saving faith? Look back in the verse. He says, if someone says or claims he has faith, what use is claiming you have faith if there's no works to show that you have faith. This professing faith that you have faith is not enough. You need something to demonstrate or give evidence that in fact you do have faith. Now in context in this passage, acts of mercy are a demonstration of faith. Now we have to, let's qualify this a little more so we're not confused. Works or deeds of faith are not at all what Paul meant when he said works of the law. See, James' concern is that one demonstrates his or her faith in Jesus by doing acts of mercy, helping those in need, demonstrating your faith in a real and tangible way. 
where Paul was concerned about justification. So you can't be justified by anything you do. You're justified by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. That's, that's it. And you do these works because of the justification, not a way to earn them. We are to be, not just to be hearers of the word, we are to be doers of the word. Back in James chapter 1, verse 22 and following, it says this, Prove yourselves doer of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So do we hear the word, but we must apply the word, practice what it preaches, do what it says. And I've said this before. The problem that we are having in our culture and society, everyone wants to come up with a code of ethics and then run to Scripture to support every line of that ethics. So I want to do this behavior where the Bible says this. Rather than going to the Bible first, what does the Bible say about this? And then drafting a code of ethics from what Scripture says. There is a huge difference. Only those who apply the word make valid claims of being a believer. This is what this passage is saying. If you're going to be a true believer, you're going to claim to have faith, and you need to have works that go along with it. God will show no mercy in the judgment to those who have been unmerciful. Nearly profession of faith, no works of faith, actually can save anyone. Only God saves. What James is emphasizing here, faith without works is good to no one. Now, this is not implying that they are effective for salvation. Rather, they demonstrate the claim of a believer. Without works, the claim to have faith is empty or dead. And more importantly, faith without works, there's no help for the needy or the per people that have the need in the first place. And in this context, he's not talking about someone out in the world. What does he say? If a brother or sister. He's talking within the context of the local church. Look what it says in verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food. Now earlier in James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, he talks about a poor man coming into the visiting the local church. How do you treat somebody who comes in and looks like they have a lot of money versus someone who looks like they're poor? And he says, you're playing favoritism. When someone comes in, nice dress, and has some money, oh, come sit down here at, first, at the first pew, and we'll just take care of you. We're the poor person. We don't give them the time of day. He said, you cannot play favoritism. Brothers and sisters who lack the necessities of life, members who are easily overlooked because of their constant neediness, are being looked over. And I believe I said this last week. The federal government messes stuff up when they take over something. What I mean by that is this welfare takes care of those in need, those of the poor. That's the job of the church. We're supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans, those in need, especially within the local body. We need to take care of our own. If someone has a need, then we are to meet them. By the way, if you have a need, no one's going to know unless you ask. We need to be a body that takes care of one another. 
The same issue is found in the first epistle of John. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Whoever has the world's goods and sees a brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. In other words, John's is saying, if you have the ability to meet that need and you don't meet it, then the love of God is not really in you. That's what Scripture says. In the face of a need, you turn your heart away from it. And I want you to see there's a close connection between mercy and helpful actions to those in need. Look what he says in verse 10. One of you says to them, now I want you to see something here. The text is now shifting. He's not just talking about if a person has faith. Now he's making it more personable. If one of you says, can you see the shift being made? Now it's going to get more tense to the hearers here because now he's making direct application to them. If one of you says to them, in other words, if one of you says to them, we'll go what he says, go in peace, but he's switching the conversation now. And he's showing them that if you have the ability to meet the need and you do what I'm talking about, then you are nothing more than a well worser. It's like telling those in misery, those who have a need, have a nice day. I don't like that phrase much anymore because people kind of say it sarcastically, or is that just me? Have a nice day. Everybody ever say it like to you when you go to a store? Have a nice day. What do they say? If one of you says to them, go in peace. This is interesting because in the ancient world, that was sincere only when accompanied by an act of giving. So, not only do you pronounce a word of blessing, but you have an act of blessing. In other words, if you, if you say go in peace, you don't offer to meet the need, it'd be the same thing as a promise of salvation without the saving act of God in Christ. Now, the Old Testament tells us Abraham... He didn't know the full spec was going to happen. All he knew is God would promise that through him, all the nations will be blessed. But they know God is faithful to keep his word. God didn't say, hey, I'm just going to, trust me, God came through with it, didn't he? Look what he says next in verse, uh, verse 16. Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. Now that's not a traditional wish, uh, wish but just as shallow when not accompanied by acts of mercy, the giving of gifts or alms. In other words, it's bad because you know precisely what the need is, and perhaps you even have the ability to meet that need, but yet you turn around and walk away. It reminds you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36 and verse 40. Starting in verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Of course, they say, well, how do we do those things to you? And in verse 40, he said, the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So we, got, we put that perspective, everything that we're doing. When we're meeting a need, we're actually ministering to Jesus. 
when I'm at work, I'm not working for a company. I am working for the Lord. I am to, to labor, not just to fulfill my duties, but as unto the Lord. We have to put everything in that perspective. Everything that we're doing, everything that we're saying is for the Lord. The care to meet a need. The care rendered by a believer should flow from the grace of God that you have received. Did you do anything to earn that grace? No, it's the reason it's called grace. And when we realize what God has done for us through Christ, that should be the only motivation we need to now turn around and show grace and mercy to those who are in need. A faith that does nothing, that helps no one in physical need, is just like those who sat in judgment when those people came in, the rich and the poor, and they played favoritism. The glory of the Lord that ought to be visible in the life of a believer is now instead brought into disrepute by their inaction. Look what he says in verse 17. He sums it back up again. Even so, in the same way, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Just as a word of blessing amounts to nothing without the act of blessing, faith without action is dead, in verse 17, being by itself. We are not to have a mere profession of religious belief apart from merciful acts. I believe in Jesus, and I believe in the cross, I believe in God. Yet, but do I bear fruit? Of that belief. There's one thing just pronouncing I have belief in it, but are you really living it out? It was once said at a Promise Keepers event what the unbelieving world has a hard time believing, they can believe in a God or a Creator. Some of them might even say, Yes, I believe in Christ. What they had a hard time believing is how can people who claim to know God that meet with Him week after week, no difference in their lives than what it was last week or the week before? kind of faith that's inactive negates truth faith and therefore is lifeless. It's self-centered rather than Christ-centered. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or you do not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us as believers in Christ. He will guide you and give you the words to say. And I've said this a hundred million times. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He wants to see you step out in faith and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this or what your plan is, but I trust you in faith that you can take care of it. And that leads us to Luke. Because Luke offers us an incredible story of faith from an unexpected source. And Luke chapter 7 verses 3 through 6 teaches us that true faith requires action. Uh, Jesus enters the town of Capernaum. And a Roman centurion hears that he's coming, so he goes. Now a centurion was an officer in the Roman army. He was in charge of about 100 soldiers. And Romans were the ruling power at that time in Israel. And he would have been part of this occupying force. force. Now, remember, this Roman officer was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. 
And yet he comes to Jesus out of desperation because his highly valued slave or servant is sick and on the brink of death. So what does he do? He sends the Jewish elders to Jesus to plead. Some translations render that beg. Jesus to come. He must have heard all the stories of Jesus' miraculous healings that he had done. And he must have believed that Jesus was his only hope. Remember, this is a Gentile. This is not a Jew. But he heard. He might not have seen anything, but he heard the stories. Do you see the thrust that's being made here? Here's a Gentile Roman officer in the army in charge of 100 people. Hear that Jesus is coming. His servant is sick, and he knows Jesus is his only hope. Likewise, we need to recognize that Jesus is our only hope. Put our faith into action by asking him to heal us and make us new. Trusting that Jesus has us every step of the way. He's promised us never to leave us, nor forsake us. He's always with us. And here's a person, I want to say it one more time. Here's a person that wasn't even a Jew. Probably knew nothing about the law, prophecy, none of that. All he knew about this Jesus and the stories he heard. But it goes deeper than that. Bear with me, because true faith believes that Jesus can do anything, and that's verses 7 through 10. Jesus follows the elders home. Before he gets to the house, though, the centurion sends out a message with his friends, basically telling Jesus, hey, I'm not worthy for you to even come in my house underneath my roof. That's the reason why I didn't come out to meet you. I, I'm not worthy to it. But this thing I do know, if you just say the word... It will happen. He had faith that not only could Jesus do it, but all Jesus had to do was speak a word. He was confident that Jesus can do anything and that nothing's outside his scope of power. What an example of faith. Even Jesus, did you catch at the end of the passage? It's marvel at this person's faith. He even comes out and says, no one in Israel has demonstrated this kind of faith that this person has. A Roman officer in the army, Jesus says, has more faith than I've seen anyone in Israel. How about you? It's one thing to say you believe and you have faith. It's another thing to walk out these doors and live it out. Especially in a society and culture that's becoming more hostile to Christianity every single day. The world around us need people full of faith. People whose faith leads them to reach out and concern. You see that in James 2. Put our faith in action. How will people know we love? Well, by how we love God and how we love each other, how we take care of each other. That speaks volumes. We are made new by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, not just for our own benefit. We are made new for the benefit of people all around us. That's how the gospel goes out. You go out and you don't expect anything in return and you demonstrate love or faith in a real genuine way, it's going to get people's attention and go, why did you do this? 
what do you have that I don't have? And that leads to direct uh, conversation about sharing Christ. You also need people like the centurion who believe that Jesus can do anything. All you have to do is speak. Do you believe Jesus can do anything? We have not because we what? What are you holding on to today that you've been wrestling with? Trying to figure everything out. You've tried this, you try that, nothing seems to be working. When are you going to let go, put it down at the foot of the cross? Jesus, you can do it. And if you don't do it, so be it. I leave it in your hands. The problem we have is that we come in here, we sing great songs of worship, we pray, we hear the word preached upon, and we walk out in the same condition. Why? Because we're still taking the baggage with us that we came in with. Let it go. Our faith plays out in our generosity and in our service and in our sacrifices. Faith and works are really like two feet of any person walking out our journey with Christ with a left foot of faith and a right foot of works. And the more you go, you can't tell them apart. In fact, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this, quote, they cannot be distinguished from one another. Faith and works are working hand in hand, glove in glove as we walk out. And walk out our journey out with Christ. My prayer is that you and I will keep our eyes open for opportunities to serve people around us as the full expression of our faith. Hebrews defines what faith is. Confidence in things hoped for and assured of. Is Jesus coming back? I'm up to you in the wrong room. (laughs) We can back up. Okay. Where are the two places you can go? Heaven or hell? Only two. Everybody's going to live forever, but it depends on your destination, right? How does one get into heaven? Through faith in Christ. Christ alone. By grace of God alone. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher, because I'm white, because I'm American, or because I'm middle class. That does not matter. My relationship with Christ is the only thing that matters. And you have that relationship going vertical, then all your horizontal will line up. (laughs) And I will tell others, you can have the same thing I have. Use a gift, just take it. Have faith. Why are you telling me this to him? Because I have faith what Christ did for me, he will do for you too. All I got to do is ask. All I could do is confess. What does that mean? Agree with him that you've broken his law. Well, we all know that. Can't keep the Ten Commandments. Tell him that you want him to be Lord and Savior of your life. That means you let go of what's calling the ball. Let him do it. After all, he created you. He knows what's best for you. He loves you. And you make that profession public. You're declaring to everybody, I am trusting Jesus. I have faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's changing my life. I'm not the same anymore. That's what baptism is, a public display 
of your faith. Perhaps you're here today and you've already made that faith, profession of faith, public, but there's some things you're holding on to. Some problems in family, which can be real difficult, I know. And you've tried everything. Nothing seems to be working. When's the last time that you prayed and said, Jesus, I know you can do anything. I know it. And I'm going to conclude with this. We have seen God answer prayer over the last year or so in a real and powerful way. He has shown us that he can do anything. But he's waiting for you to ask. He's here and he's ready. But the decision has to be yours. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of faith. You are faithful and we are faithless. <laughs> You're always there. Wanting and desiring us to come to you. Father, I pray that you knock down every wall, break every chain that's holding anyone back in their relationship to you. If there's anyone here that's never put their faith in your son as their Savior and Lord, I pray that it will happen today. Father, I pray that each one of us will lay our burdens at your feet and leave them there. Continue to speak to us, oh God. We need you so desperately. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?